But we're gonna we're gonna open up uh, to Exodus 20, and uh, we'll take a look at the passage tonight. As always, we're gonna begin with verse one, and then drop on down until we get to where we are. Amen. Amen. Right. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word and Holy Spirit. Please lead us into all truth. And I pray, Lord, that if uh, anything is not of you that manages to leave my lips, I, I pray that all would be deaf to it. But Lord, that which you want us to hear and apply, I pray that it would be very clear and the soil of our heart would receive it and it would be fruitful in our lives. So we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Chapter 20, verse 1, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have... Let's do it. No other gods before me, right? You shall not make for yourself graven images, the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is on the earth beneath, or there's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity upon the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Here we go, third one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's the sign there. Keep doing it, everybody, okay? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, that's rest, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. You shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that the days may be long upon the earth that the Lord is giving you. And then you shall not murder so you have five, six is murder. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Five hands, two. You shall not commit adultery. And then we're going to go with the eighth commandment. We're going to have this and steal it. Five hands, see? Okay, visuals help. You're going to remember this, and you're going to know the Ten Commandments. So you shall not steal. So we're going to cover stealing tonight. You shall not steal. And I figure we better begin this evening with a joke. Maybe a couple jokes. Um they're going to be corny, but I'm going to do them anyways. Um, the burglar breaks into the house, and uh, he hears a parrot say, Jesus is watching you. Yeah, you've heard this. Okay, don't give away the punchline. He says, Jesus is watching you. And the robber looks at the parrot and says, are you Jesus? He says, no, I'm Moses. And he says, what owner would name his parrot Moses? And he said, the same ones that named their Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. A uh, Sunday school teacher trying to teach uh, the Eighth Commandment, you know, thou shalt not steal, and said, what do you call someone who reaches into a man's billfold and takes all of his money? And they say, a wife? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a cute one. Uh, <laughs> or kids, I don't know, one of the two. Uh, <laughs> let's just think for a minute, have we ever stolen you don't have to blurt that out loud. I'll, I'll be transparent. I, uh, I was a young kid, uh, whether raised in a Christian home or not a Christian home, uh, you know, the, the Bible says that, that we, we have conviction in our, our heart. We know right and wrong. We, we, we have that conviction. We can become numb to it and callous to it. 
And I knew what I was doing, even though I wasn't raised in church and the like. And my father was a, a good man. I don't remember him ever stealing anything. Um, and if he did, it wasn't to my knowledge. I don't remember my mom doing that either. But I did. Uh, hung around with a bad group of kids in Coronado. And, um, you know, we... No, I didn't steal any F-15s. Not sure where you're going with that, but uh, I, I uh, it started with the really cool uh, air caps on the tires that were really classy, and we had names for the different styles of them. We would collect them and steal them off of cars, and then we decided to go for hood ornaments. And I found out the Cadillacs that those hood ornaments would come off real easy if you twisted and pulled hard enough. The worst were the uh, Rolls Royces, and and then they actually created the Rolls Royce where the the woman sinks into the, I mean like doesn't let you steal it and if we could get a Rolls Royce one we were we were the best in the group never got one my dad found the bag of them I'd hid them in the garage all these Cadillac symbols couple of Mercedes and he was so upset with me um, and he brought me in and he he said where, what are these I said um, you know I I I I didn't do it as a bunch of other kids I was just holding them for him. And his comment was, <laughs> you're not even a leader as a thief. And, and I said, well, Dad, okay, I'm a thief and a liar because the truth is I did lead the kids. <laughs> it didn't work. He didn't have any. I got in a lot of trouble. My dad was very patriotic. He'd lay down stripes. I'd see stars. <laughs> yeah. um, I, my very first job, um, I pilfered. Um, I worked at a movie theater. It was cash, and uh, yeah, I'd take a little out of the till, and I got let go. And my dad, that was it. He just, he'd had enough of it, and he instilled in me, and he made me pay back every penny. He went, made me go back to each of the people I'd taken from. Uh, we had taken some matchbox cars from the drugstore. I had to go back and confess to the owner. I had to face up to it. I had to pay restitution. My dad, he, he, he put the plow down. I mean, he just, he made sure that I understood the consequences of my actions. So if, if you're a thief, this is of the, of the commandments, all of them deal with, uh, you know, if, if you do this, you die. Uh, this is the one commandment where you don't die, but it requires restitution. And my dad applied that very clearly. And, and so did my mom when my dad was in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I was caught doing that, and I didn't want to do it anymore because I just got tired of having to get browbeat by the owners of the stores that I had taken from, and uh, it, was, it was troubling. So um, I learned my lesson, and God did a work in my life, and I'm grateful for that. So, you know, if you want to take that clip out of the sermon and use it adversely, you'll have hell to pay. Uh, where are we? It's serious. I mean, it's one of those things where... I remember running for office and sharing some of these things and people take them out of context so that they can justify their angst towards me. Um, and, and the idea is to be transparent for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I asked you guys to think quietly in your own heart, have you ever stolen? And, and stealing can come in a myriad of ways. You know, kids steal their parents' health by being stupid. Uh, you know, I thought that was funny. Uh, but you think about it. There's a myriad of ways you can steal. Um, if, if you've committed fornication, you're, you're, you're taking someone else's future spouse. Um, that's, that's not given to you by the Lord. And, and this is something that, you know, as you start to honor these things and you honor God's law, what is the byproduct of honoring God's law? Huh? Blessing. 
How can we describe blessing? Obviously, our children are well-established. They do well. But what else comes with blessing? Financial blessing, absolutely. And so then you go into, if you observe the Ten Commandments, then you go into Leviticus and you go through Deuteronomy, and these are all protection of private property. And these are very important to civil government. Um, let's, let's ask this. If the government gives you something, if the government gives you something, where do they get it from? Um, somebody else. Anytime the government gives you something, you have to ask from whence has this come? Government doesn't create wealth, it divides it. Takes from one to give to another. And, and, and then the question is, how do you get stuff? There's two ways to get stuff. There's God's way and there's man's way. Um, and, and when you honor the Lord, you're blessed. When you, when you don't, you can still get stuff, but it comes at an expense to the culture and, the, and to the society and to the community. And we're going to take a look at this tonight in, um, in greater detail. Uh, there was a cab driver who, he had an interesting way in New York of getting rid of his trash. He would put it into a, a, a paper bag and he put it in the backseat of his taxi. And <laughs> inevitably, it would always go missing. Uh, and the people who stole it always had a fun... <laughs> and also, um, this is a fun one. This is from Associated Press, AP. A thief decided to siphon gas from Dennis Quigley's motorhome in Seattle. And when Dennis, uh, when Dennis was inside the motorhome, he heard the noises outside. He investigated and discovered the thief curled up uh, on the ground, violently vomiting, intending to suck up the contents of the gas tank. The thief had put the hose in the wrong hole and had sucked up the contents of the <laughs> sewage tank. <laughs> The thief, a boy 14, will not be prosecuted. Dennis and the police agree that he suffered enough, Associated Press. So uh, let's, let's take a look at how God wants us to get stuff according to his word. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 28. It reads, let him that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something good. So if you steal, is that good? You're always looking over your shoulder, and when you own it, you're always afraid someone else is going to take it, because you've created a culture where stealing is, you know... After a while, you build a good house in a bad neighborhood. Either all the houses in the neighborhood are going to change or your house is going to end up like all the houses in the neighborhood. This idea of honoring God's principles affects an entire culture. And, you know, if, if we removed, if we remove the Ten Commandments, if we re remove um, absolutes that govern us, who's to say what is right and wrong? You have subjective morality, um, and so what is the standard and is there a standard? And if man is innately good, if man is innately good in, in one world philosophy where the scripture says, you know, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. The only good thing in Rob McCoy is Jesus Christ. He's taken hold of my life. He's transformed me and he's given me by his spirit, the ability to honor his commandments. If, if you remove God from the equation and his statutes, then what is the standard? 
What is the standard? And who says that stealing is wrong? Are you allowed to steal if you're hungry? Are you allowed to steal if you can justify it? Are you allowed to steal if the person that you're stealing from won't miss it? Or has enough that it really won't affect them? Are you allowed to take from the government? You know, they went through the list of one of the major hotels. And I remember the Hotel Del Coronado. Uh, I was talking to the manager of the Hotel Del Coronado, and he was telling me their silverware budget. And this was in 1989. And they had the silver. They would get a new set of silver that they would do with all their meals and in the big crown room and, the, and, and all the other areas. They'd have this buffet on Sundays. And they spent, in 1989, $108,000 for the replacement of silverware. They'd lose a thousand Bibles a year. People would take the Bibles out of the, you know, and it's, Gideons were going to replace them. They would steal everything. And, and so much so that there was one hotel chain that used to say, towels so thick you won't even be able to fit them in your suitcase. <laughs> you know, you, you go through the shopping center and you take the grapes that are hanging down. You're trying to apply Levitical law that anything that overhangs in the vineyard, you know, is free for people and you're sampling and taking some of the nuts and sampling those. And I won't say who, but there was a member of our family that was caught doing that and, and got a fine for it. And they just thought it was okay to reach in and grab some and eat it while you're going. That's a sample. And, you know, you, you think, well, Costco does it. Why can't all the other supermarkets do it? And you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. Subtle as it is, it's a condition. And actually, when I worked in retail, we called it shrink. And we actually adjusted for the bottom line on the budget for shrink, meaning our inventory was shrinking. It, somebody took it. It wasn't sold, wasn't broken. Somebody took it. And you calculate that in the cost of business, shrink. And in certain areas where you go to open up a business, you want to calculate, can you still turn a profit considering the percentage of shrink that occurs in that area? And, and one of the reasons why you don't find businesses in the inner city is because there's, it's not a profitability and everything's behind bars. And uh, you go into any of the banks that are located near the 101 freeway and they've got plexiglass because for a robber, you can come in, hit one of those banks and get back on the road. And that's why these banks are typically hit. And so... This idea of stealing, uh, the Lord wants to transform a culture. And, and as we covered on Sunday, this idea of applied theonomy, theos meaning God, nomos meaning law, God's law applied to culture, transforms a culture. And if the gospel is just about us raising our hand to receive Christ and not applying these truths in culture and contending that people have to pay restitution, could you imagine our criminal justice system if people had to pay restitution for what they did? But it's not their fault. In this other worldview, it's not their fault. The person who killed somebody, thou shalt not murder the person who killed somebody. It's not their fault. It's the gun's fault. Now it has to be the van's fault. What happened in Nice, France. So we're going we're gonna to blame an inanimate object and outlaw the inanimate object as opposed to dealing with the person who's doing it. This is a violation of God's law. But if you remove God from the statutes, then, the, then, then you can move the dial to whatever suits your purposes. And all of a sudden, it's not murder, it's a choice. All of a sudden, you know, you go through all these different aspects and you have a culture that breaks down as a result of it. So the one way that God wants us to get stuff is to work hard for it. Work hard for it. Um, what was, oh, the story about the young kid that uh, he went to get a job and apply for the job and the, the man said, 
I don't have enough work to justify hiring anyone. There's just not enough work to do to hire. And he says, uh, you know, I, I fit that prescription. <laughs> I, I can do as little as possible. You can hire me. <laughs> you know, the idea is the Lord wants you to work as unto him. Have you ever had a bad boss? Have you ever had a bad employment? Have you ever had difficult working? You know, God puts you in that place for a reason, and he wants you to work as unto him. Remember when we covered Admiral James Stockdale? He wasn't in prison. He was stationed there. There are times you're going to be in a pretty bad place of employment, but you're going to set an example there for everyone else to follow. And it's the way you live that causes it to uh, transform the culture in which you live. Another way God wants us to gain possession is to make it yourself using your skill. Turn with me to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. You know, I marvel at skills that certain people possess. Um, and and, and it's, it's, you know, I watch Tim Maddox when he draws. He's just so uniquely gifted. When his daughter Abby dances, she's so uniquely gifted. When, when I, I see people with an engineering mind and able to structure, when I see people with management skills, it's so apparent. All these things are skills that God entrusts. Uh, the one gift I have is the ability to talk. Uh, so far it served me well, but it's a skill. It's a gift. And, and the Lord gives gifts. He gives skills. And, and one way that he wants you to make a living is to use the gifts he's given you and to find that profession, you know, love what you do and, and step into that realm and you'll see how fulfilling it is. Um, look at Exodus 35 verse 35. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen. The idea is he fills you with skills. He's given you unique gifts and you have that ability. You might be a people person. Um, you, you might be a person that doesn't like to be around people, but you have no problem going through reams of data um, and, and being a programmer. A thousand ways. Some people faint at the sight of blood. Others are intrigued by it. Some people are grossed out by the human body. Others are intrigued by it. However that works, it's a skill that God entrusts to you, and that's how he wants you to make a living. And to earn things is to work hard for it and also use the skills he's given you. I would ask you, you know, oftentimes, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So there's only 24 hours in the course of a day, and if you decide to work for someone else, the burden on maintaining that business is with the entrepreneur who took the great risk. He is now providing you with an hourly wage. Now, with that hourly wage, you get a limited amount of money. You have a limited amount of hours in the day, but you don't have all the worries that he takes home or she takes home, having to concern themselves with the business, finding capital, making sure that the bottom line works, uh, forecasting the future, having enough inventory, making sure they're keeping up on capital improvements and the like. You can go home after you're finished and you have the day free. They're sitting there looking at their portfolio on the wall. They're trying to figure out how to get through difficult economic times, increases in taxes, regulations, on and on and on. You go to work, you get a paycheck. There's a comfort that comes with that. You're not taking an enormous risk and, and you're going to get a limited income. And, and it, there's only a couple of ways to increase your income. That's to take more hours or to get paid overtime or to take a night job. But somewhere in there, you've got to sleep. Somewhere in there, you've got to take care of kids. If you want to increase that, you've got to save 
prepare your skills, know what you're gifted at, study, front load your life, and then step in and take a risk. And in taking that risk, you can, you know, with the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And so this is, this is capitalism, and God intends for that to occur. He wants us to be developmental. He wants us to have these ideas. He wants us to practice those skills. And so in using these skills, this is how society is benefited and blessed. In America, you have the ability to be rewarded when you take a risk, and you're going to get the fruits of that, re- that reward. Now, a lot of people resent those who are rich. Well, you can take the same risk. Now, they're, granted, there are people, and we'll cover this because this is another way God gives wealth, but there are those that, that inherit it. There, there are those that you know, were born on third and thought they hit a triple. But the, the, the idea is, God, I thought more people would laugh at that. Yeah. So, so God wants you to use your skills. And if you're in a job where your skills aren't being used, you, you have to take a risk to, you know, when, when, when I was in sales, um, I, I, I wanted to go in the military. That door didn't open for me. I, I actually was in the Marine Corps for about two and a half weeks. I got a, a special uh, ability to step out of the PLC, the platoon leader corps, because I had qualified for the Olympic trials. They rescinded it. It was all good. And, and then I, I went to school. Uh, when I graduated, I had a history degree. I wasn't the best student. And um, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I was thinking maybe I'd go OCS. Uh, I was thinking maybe I'd do coaching. And my brother was working in sales. He said, you know, I'll help you get a job. And so I sent out resumes. He showed me how to put together a resume. He showed me how to do my work order. I laid it all out there. I started getting offers. I got interviewed. I got hired with Helene Curtis as a salesman. I did really well. I broke records. I ended up getting promoted. Then a company called me through a headhunter. I transferred over to Cheeseboro Ponds, and and I immediately became an area manager. Uh, Cheeseboro bought uh, Helene Curtis, so I knew their whole product line, and I was put up to a divisional aspect, and I had people working for me, and I was doing really well, and I hated every day I went to work. I didn't like it. I had a calling on my life. I, I was watching my brother, who I knew was, he's one of the most gifted, motivating people in the world. I knew he'd be a great coach. He was always too afraid to go into coaching because it would require a risk. And he liked the security and, and the job and all these things. And so he invested in that capacity. I, I was right at the same level. I was getting promoted at the same level he was. We were both in the same company. We got purchased by Unilever, the largest consumer products company in America. I, he was promoted and I was the youngest in the, in the company to be promoted to that level. And you know, it, I, I had a lot ahead of me and things were going well. And then we, I don't remember the year, but there was a downturn in the economy and the, the last hired was the first to be let go. And, and they gave me a severance package and I went and interviewed and I got a job with AC Nielsen doing, you know, projected data, Nielsen ratings. And I hated it. It was, I didn't know anything about computers. I hadn't studied. Everything was computer driven. I had to know charts. And I just, I remember one day I was driving to Orange County. I had this corner office and it was the Wang building. It overlooked all, it was beautiful. And I remember going into the boss and I just said, you know what? This is a great job, but I, I am not skilled for this. I know you hired me for a myriad of reasons, but being in this computer is not my cup of tea and I'm doing you a disservice and it's really not my calling. And uh, I, I just, I want to give my two weeks notice. And he was stunned. He said, I, I, there's a future for you. I said, maybe there is, but if I continue doing this, I'm going to be the most miserable human being on the earth. And I remember going home to Michelle and I told her, I said, I hate what I'm doing. And she said, I know. 
I know, I can see it in your face. And, and she said, I've always thought you were a gifted teacher and you'd be great with kids and working in ministry. I said, I got an opportunity to go to Fresno and be a youth director. I'm not, I wouldn't be ordained. We're gonna get, I can't remember what it was, $650 a month or $850 a month. We have to pay for half our health care. She was eight months pregnant. We already had a child. I said, I, I can get somebody to take over our, the note on our house. We'll, we'll move to Fresno, you know, from Southern California, we owned a house. I went from, you know, company car, owning a home to within eight months working at Walmart to try to make ends meet as an hourly uh, with two cars over uh, 150,000 miles living in Section 8 housing. And my daughter was was born in in Fresno and Michelle went through the pregnancy in triple digit heat. And I thought she's going to leave me. But I, I, we were miserable. We were out of money. Um, It was tighter than a tambourine, but I loved every day I went to work. I loved it. And uh, we struggled and, and pinched and went through all kinds of transformations and challenges, and, and we've never looked back. And my brother used to be so envious because I was doing what I was called to do. The skill set was there, and God was equipping me, and I loved it. And he was miserable, and he ends up, you know, the company, when he got to a certain age where retirement comes in, they were vicious, and they let him go. And, you know, he, he went through that downturn in the housing crisis and struggled and lost a bunch of stuff. And his kids were in college, and his retirement got dwindled. And it was just miserable. And finally, after all this, a couple, I think two years ago, just trying to make ends meet, his wife went into teaching. She got a credential. They're trying to hold the house together. He ended up losing his house. But now he's in coaching. And, and he's, he's nine years older than me. I'm 52, so he's 61. And he loves coaching. And I said, could you imagine if you had done this years ago? And he said, I know. And I'm, I'm gonna look at you right now and just tell you, God's gifted you. Now you can stay in the miserable rat wheel that's comfortable in the cage of your life and get that hourly paycheck and die miserably. Or you can let the Lord use the skill he's given you and flourish. You'll find joy in your work. You'll, you'll find fulfillment in your work. It's, it's an act of worship. You're doing what God has designed you to do. And, um, and everything that you're doing now, you're going to use that in the, in the skills he's given you. And it'll be, he'll use it together for good. You don't have to regret. I don't regret my sales background. It's helped me in, in ministry management, all these things. So uh, God wants us to use our skill. The third thing in, in how we, we avoid stealing and, and get things God's way is uh, we invest in what we already have. Uh, turn to Matthew 25, please. Matthew 25. And look at verse 20. We're going to read 20 and 21. This is the parable of the talents. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And he goes on and he ends up cursing the man who had the one talent and buried it. God's interested in investment. Why? What does investment do? I'm, I'm sorry? It grows. What types of investment are there? I know it's Wednesday. Wake up. Somebody slap the person next to you. <laughs> People are a great investment, pouring into the life of someone else. The, the scriptures call that discipleship. And you do that in the workplace too. You teach people a skill. You give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime, right? Other investments are financial. Uh, a, a, a borrower is a slave to the lender. It's good to be the lender. 
Um, have you ever been in a position where you, to survive, someone has to give you something? Try the ministry. And, and I'll tell you what, the people who are the most generous are the ones that manage their money well because they have something to give. The people that are usually a drain on a ministry are the ones that don't have something to give. They need something. They need something. And, you know, that's why the Lord says he'll meet our needs in the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we'd ask or imagine. If we manage our, our and if we give to the Lord our first fruits, and if we manage our life and we're not, a, a, you know, the Bible says have no debt but to love. If we manage our finances, we end up being in a position to give. There's two wallets. I learned this from Don McClure. He had two wallets. He was Scottish. I'm Scottish. I'm, but he, he was really Scottish. He was tight. He had the first wallet, and this is how he managed the church, and he was irritated. He'd walk in, and if anyone left a light on or the air conditioner on, he would browbeat us. He, he, would, he would fine us. He would do whatever it took so that we'd realize. He's, he would say, here's what I want you to do. Take this $100 bill. I want you to walk up to the congregant right over there. I want you to crumble up and throw it at their feet. I want you to rip it up in their face and throw it at them because that's basically what you're doing with the money that they have faithfully given to God's work. You're wasting it. You're absolutely wasting it. This is his house. We're to tend for it. We're to tend to it. Excuse me. And this is this idea of priests. We're to tend to the, to the temple of the Lord. You're wasting people's money. And he would be livid about it. And in this wallet, there was always an, an in for the out and an out for the in. The, the, it always balanced. If there was a surplus, it went into this wallet. This wallet was always managed properly. This one was managed with the heart. And it was a surplus. And he would give from the surplus and he wouldn't let the left hand know what the right hand was doing. And sometimes he'd give to things that were a sinkhole and other times he'd give to things that would flourish, but he would give it because the Lord put it on his heart. He'd be prayerful about it and he would bless. And if we managed our life this way, it would be amazing. And this is what God is saying is to invest, invest. And, and you know, it, it's good to be debt free, but what is a good type of debt? Anything that is increasing in value while you're paying for it. So a home would be an investment. That's a good investment. Not only does your family need a place to live, but while you're investing in it, the value of the house is increasing. You're making an investment in the lives of your family. You have a home where you can instruct them, where they're kept safe, where they can be fed. And at the same time, the property is increasing in value. You're building that neighborhood, which makes the value of your property even greater. It invests in the community. The banks that then can loan the money from the interest you're paying to allow others to purchase and have that American dream. And this, this is a type of investment. Investing in stocks. What do you invest in? Oftentimes, I, I, I know of one person who is about to make a fortune because they figured out an algorithm to, to see where certain funds spend their money and if these businesses are moral in their behavior and what they support in their ben beneficiary giving uh, and if it's to things that are contrary to to God's law then they don't invest in that and he's going to create this investment environment that is fascinating that people will invest in because they want to do what's right so investment is a way that God wants us to make money what does investment do it it allows people to borrow from you to invest in their future. So if you're buying a house, you're going to be borrowing from the bank. They're going to give it to you at an interest, but you're going to look and say, the, the value of what I'm purchasing will outweigh the interest of what I, I'm having to pay to purchase it. The increase of it, I'm going to have a benefit in time. So you're going to need capital. Sometimes you don't have to borrow that capital because you've raised it yourself because you've been frugal. 
We want everything now. We, we buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know with money we don't have. Now, if you take a $5,000 debt on a credit card at 18% and you pay the minimum, it'll take you 18 years to pay that back. And the $5,000 that you originally borrowed, you're going to pay over $7,000 in interest in those 18 years. And they're going to make a fortune on you. And what did you spend the $5,000 on when you incurred that debt? Was it something that was creating a return for you or was it just a purchase on something that you, you know, was a consumable? You, you had a meal. Oh, good. But what's the return on that investment? Well, I got fatter. You know, the, the Lord, if you're, if you're borrowing, you're borrowing for the sake of increasing an investment and you're, you're, you're buying something that's going to increase in value. When you buy a new car, the minute you drive it off the lot, you've lost a large portion of your investment. So you want to look for cars that retain their value. You want to buy a used car. You know, and, and I'm only teaching this because I've made every mistake imaginable on the face of the earth. But this is what God wants in, in this applied theonomy is that this is a way that God wants us to gain things is by investment. Uh, let's, um, and, and by the way, the power of investment is awesome. You know, let, let's, let's look at this. If, if I offered you, if I offered you $100,000 right now, which I'm not going to do, but it, let's say I'm going to offer you $100,000 right now, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a penny, and I promise to double that penny every day for 30 days, what would you take? The penny, if you're smart. One is two, two is four, four is eight, eight is 16, 16 is 32, 32 is 64, 64 is 128, 128 is three, I'm lost. And by the end of the 30 days, you're gonna be sitting on a chunk of money. And that's investment. That's a doubling, that's interest, that's increasing. And, and compounding interest is better because you get the interest, it comes into the principal, or it comes into the amount, then you get interest on that amount, and then more comes in, then you get interest on that amount, and it compounds. And, and there's going to come a point, you have a limited time on this earth to have earning potential. And when you're older, you don't have that earning potential. And you're going to exit the freeway, and you're going to need to draw from that which you've saved. Or like me, your retirement can be your children. That was a joke. Um, you know, but, but the idea is to save. And, and I, I just saw a statistic that 43% of Americans don't have $25 or more in the bank. That's tragic. We are not a saving nation. We are a consumer nation and we spend, 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 and we don't save. And yet this is a principle God commands that we invest and we don't do it. We just waste money because we want it all now. Well, if someone's willing to give it to you at an interest rate and you're, you're going to be a borrower and you'll be a slave ultimately. Um, there's another way that God commands or allows us to gain wealth. This is the one I'm banking on. Look at Proverbs 8.21. Let's turn to Proverbs 8.21. You look tired tonight, so that's why I'm making you turn to the passages. I'm making you participate. Keeps you awake. Proverbs 8.21. I'll just pick up where I noticed it. That I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures, um, their treasuries. So what's another way God allows us to gain wealth? Inherit it. 
a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, right? George, I'm using an example. Did you start Harrison and Sons? No, you didn't. But but are you in the lineage of children's children of the founder of Harrison and Sons? Not a silver spoon because you could have tanked it. You've invested for future generations. And how many generations down has it gone? It's a fifth generation. So you're working for your children and your children's children. And, and, and not only was a business inherited, but so was a skill set inherited, as was conviction on how to do business properly, which allowed this to continue for five generations. It hasn't just blessed the family, it's blessed the, the county. It is one of the most resplendent, well-received, uh, highly honored businesses in the country. They're on the cutting edge. They've stayed with it. They, they, they have innovated things that people aren't aware of. And this is what God wants. He wants us to create inheritance so that these businesses would go on for generations to come. Now, the silver spoon would be the joke of the man that uh, the, the son comes and says, Dad, how did we gain all this wealth? He says, yes, son. It's, it's a very, very interesting story. He said, when I was a young boy, I had 10 cents. And I took that 10 cents and I bought two pencils for a nickel each. And I went and I sold those pencils for 10 cents a piece and I gained 20 cents. And then I went back and I bought four pencils for a nickel each. I went out and sold those and I gained 40 cents. I went back and bought eight pencils. And I did this until I amassed the amount of about a dollar and 60 cents. And that's about the time your Aunt Martha died and left us $8 million. <laughs> 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 this is funny one a little bit yeah okay what's another way that God wants us to receive things turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 Matthew chapter 6 you see the Lord's prayer there verse 11 what does it say? Give us this day our daily bread. God doesn't give you more than you need because he wants you to be hungry for the future. He, he's going to kickstart you. I've never seen the righteous go hungry nor their children begging bread. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. If, if you have a calling on your life and you will wait upon the Lord and you will seek him and you will honor him, you'll have what is necessary to do what it is he wants you to do. He doesn't despise wealth, but not everyone's going to be rich. I knew when God called me into this, I wasn't going to be rich. I'm okay with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Apostle Paul said. Jesus died with the clothes on his back and they gambled for those. The Apostle Paul didn't have much. When um, Charles Wesley died, he left uh, a silver spoon and uh, a cup and, and books. And that was it. And that guy had a huge influence on the earth. Um, this idea of contentment. God doesn't bless you and give you things so that you can increase your comfort. Although he, you know, those who take the greatest risk enjoy the greatest reward. You're allowed to enjoy these things and you're allowed to experience them. And, and as you do them, you purchase them for an investment. You know, the, the guy I was telling you back in in, in Texas, my friend, he, you go into his his business. He's got a headquarters, um, and and it, it, the headquarters would be about the size of here, 
and then it's two story, but then the rest of this warehouse is, you know, it, it's like the size of a football field. This amazing floor that is, you know, polished and it's cement, but they've got this coating on it that's resplendent. And it's packed with probably 50 cars where the least expensive in the building is $250,000. He's got the very first T-Bird ever sold. Uh, he's got the AC Cobra Super Snake. There were two made. One was owned by Bill Cosby, sold it to a doctor. The doctor killed himself. Carol Shelby owned the other one. It was like 780 horsepower. It's, it was Carol Shelby's car. It's iconic. He bought it at the Bear Jackson auction. And <clears throat> he nickel and dimed the Bear Jackson auction. And they sold it to him. You know, it was going for 5.2. I don't know what he ended up paying for it, but I guarantee it was far less than that. And the car's worth a fortune. He purchased the T-Bird the from somebody that was in a... Um, a cash crunch situation and they had to liquidate some of their assets because they gambled and they had to they had to let go of it. And so these are investments that people find in value. They increase in value and he he purchases these for investment purposes, but it's also iconic. People can come in. It's a museum. He's got them protected. He cares for them. Um, people can walk in and go, well, this, you know, people who are poor, you could feed. People are not hungry because there's not enough resources on the earth. If, if we honored God, we're blessed. The, the fields will be fruitful. Crops will rise. God doesn't allow the righteous to be forsaken or their children to beg bread. And if you trust him and you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he'll bless you. He, 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 he is Lord of the earth. He causes the rain to fall. He's the one who allows the fields to be fruitful. He's the one that, you know, you can, you can hold a cotton seed in your hand but only God knows how much cotton that cotton seed's going to produce. And God has, has his hand over all of that. And you can look at one man who's righteous and his field is flourishing and another man who, who doesn't honor the Lord and it doesn't flourish. Um, I'm not saying I'm a right. Well, I'm righteous because of what Christ has done. I'm not saying that I'm abundantly blessed because I'm any better than all of you. But I will say this. God gave me a... Um, a testimony that we're at least doing what's right. I often say that people surround, or God surrounds me with people like you because I'm, I'm obviously doing what's right. I'm blessed to be surrounded by people that are just precious. Well, we have a beehive, and uh, we have a beekeeper in the church who taught me how to do beekeeping. We started the hive. He got a queen bee. He put it in there. Italian bees, which, you know, they're socialists, and they take breaks now and then. But um, <laughs> so, so anyway, so... Uh, I was going to go further, but it would have been really funny, but I'm not going there. And, and so, so we had this beehive, and, and, uh, and it's it flourishing to the point where when we took out one slat, they, they would build hives where the slats weren't existing. And he came out, he said, I think that this hive is going to break a record. You're, we, we've gotten over 100 pounds of honey out of three and a half tiers of a hive. And, and he said, hives are dying all over the place. Yours is flourishing. And these bees are just all day long. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at going, you know, anything we put in the ground where we live would flourish. And it, it's, it's just God's blessing. And I would just tell him, it, I, had, I didn't tell the bees how to work. I didn't tell them what to do. We just, we, he blessed us. And we give it away and we're blessing people with it. And it's precious. So God gives. You cannot give the Lord, but I have news for you. He won't give unless you're generous. You withhold from him, he withholds from you. People say, do I tithe on the net or on the gross? <laughs> it depends on what you want to be blessed on. 
If the net's smaller and you want less, then tithe on the net. If you want to be really blessed, tithe on the gross. Well, tithing's not, in the, you know, tithing's not New Testament. I'm sorry, why not? Well, because it's God's law and we did away with law. No, we didn't do away with law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The commandments are still, you still tithe. You tithe. Why do you tithe? Because the church needs it? No, I, 16 years as a pastor here. I've never, I've never browbeat or done anything to ask you for money. Tithing is, is for the sake of your Christian walk. This is an act of faith. You give him the first fruits. You're trusting him. If, if, if you want to see blessing, you give to him first. And then he blesses you. You're trusting him. And I'll tell you, I didn't tithe early on as a pastor. I would always think, well, I'm, I'm tithing with my time. I'm, I'm tithing with, with my generosity of my, my time and my effort. And, you know, and they don't pay me enough. And, and to tithe to them, it's, it, you know, I justified it. It's, I mean, the church is paying me and I'm giving the church back what they've already given me. That doesn't make any sense. I, I'm a Levite. I don't, I don't have to do. Yeah, you do. And, and we were miserable. And when we started tithing, God started blessing. I can tell you businessman after businessman, anyone tonight could, I could, I could probably find five in the room that the minute they started tithing, everything changed. But Christians don't tithe. We love money more than we love God. It's an act of worship. And, and we wonder why there's never enough. We don't find contentment in him. We don't find contentment in what he's provided for us. Instead, we're always worried and we're spending things that aren't ours. We're stealing from him. So God will give it. But the idea is you have to give to him first. Um, It's not the government's job to give you things. It's not the church's job to give you things. It's not your parents' job to give you things. It's not your relative's job to give you things. It's not your spouse's job to give you things. It's not your boss's job to give you things. That's called entitlement. You work for it, you get it. You don't work for it, you don't get it. You give, God will give. You don't give, you don't get. It it, it is a very simple commandment. We live in the greatest nation on earth. If someone is unable to work, we'll bless them. That comes out of this pocketbook. But when the government gives you something, it must take from someone else first. And again, if they're offering you something, ask first Whenceforth has this come? And all that does is reduce the wealth of a nation. Because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And if you have socialism, what happens is, I, was, I had dinner last night at a person's house. Um, she introduced me to her son. Her son's married to, she finished fifth in um, the world beauty pageant. And she was Miss Venezuela. A beautiful woman, loves the Lord, raising their kids and loving the admission of the Lord. He loves the Lord, precious family. And she's telling me about their family that is starving in Venezuela. They can't even get them anything and they can't even fly in because they fly in, they'll be kidnapped. Lawlessness is rampant in Venezuela. It used to be the fourth wealthiest nation in the Western hemisphere. And now they're starving the father had to move the business into, I think it was Colombia, And they just took all of his land. The government took it all. When the government promises you everything, it must take from someone else first. And after a while, you just run out. And nobody wants to work anymore. They just expect it. And it destroys a culture. 
Capitalism, moral capitalism is a blessing from God. What that means is it's investment, investing in the lives of others. Your property is protected. You protect private property and then people begin to invest in the community and the community flourishes. Invention occurs. Um, Incentive is there. If you work, you get it. If you expect someone to give it to you, you have been duped and there will be no blessing. And ultimately, it's going to run out because nobody wants to work anymore. If you're not going to work and someone's going to take what, what, what someone's done and give it to somebody who won't work, ultimately, nobody wants to work. It destroys creativity, ingenuity. It, it devastates. And so that's how God works. Let's move on. Um, what are common ways that people break the Eighth Commandment? Has anyone ever had anything stolen from their house? Anyone ever had a break-in? Anyone ever had a break-in? Back here, back here? A few, okay. I've had my car broken into. I remember one time I, I, uh, I, I came up to my car and a guy was, had broken my window, opened my trunk, and was rifling through my trunk. And I went up and I was in Fresno. I said, hey, and he picks up the umbrella that was in the, in the trunk and he goes to hit me with it. And I put my hand up, block it, and I cold cock him with my right hand and he falls to his knees. <laughs> Amen. I was, it was so satisfying. Hurt like the Dickens. And, and, and as I'm holding him and, and I'm, I, he just wiggles away, finally comes to and just runs. And I, I just was so angry, satisfied that I hit him, but angry that he had broken into my car. And it was the third time we'd been broken into. We had the highest car theft rate of any city its size in America. Second highest car theft rate of any city in America. Second highest murder rate. Fresno was in a free fall. And it was a church that turned it around by instilling morality and teaching people and it all changed. And it was a very profound move. So one way that you break the commandment is you're a thief. You steal. You take something stealthily, a burglar. You, you slip a candy bar into your pocket. You take a grape from the supermarket. You're a thief. You're stealing. Another way that this commandment is broken is robbery or mugging, causing bodily injury while you take something from somebody. Uh, Luke 10, verse 30, the, the idea the certain man went down to Jerusalem, Jericho fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, leaving him half dead. And, and how many people passed by while he was laying there robbed and beaten? Many passed by, but who was the, and, and all the religious passed by, but who was the one that came in and helped? It was the Samaritan who helped the Jew. And, and I would say that the religious were, were thieves as well because they bypassed the person who had been stolen from and didn't help. And you're, you're stealing the, from God when he's calling you to help those who are in a crisis in a time of need and you just walk past it. If you don't have a conviction to make a difference and step into the problem, well, you don't understand. It may cause... You know, I remember when Reginald Denny was being beaten and that woman came out and just stopped them and said, stop it, stop it. When the tanks were coming down Tiananmen Square and the, the young man stood in front of the tanks, such a picture. And you, you want to talk about the, the doctrine of the, of the lesser magistrate, interposing yourself in front of a tank, interposing yourself in front of a gang. And, this, and you don't do that. It's robbery to the culture. And you're, you're immortal till God's done with you. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Um, another way is to use something without permission. Take something illegally by force is another way. You know, we, I, I struggle on the city council. We have this ring of green 
around the city. It's our open space. We love open space. And, and we, we poll the community and we ask them, what are the most important things? And they say, we love the open space. We love open space. That open space has come at the expense of landowners who own that property. And because we refuse them to build on that property, private property, we refuse them to build on it. We won't run, you know, uh, water to it. We won't run electricity to it. Their property becomes worthless. And then we offer them money and we buy it. And we create open space. Now, this is a violation of the constitution. I struggle over that. I don't like it. I, I love the green ring. I would have liked a, a lot of it came from donation. But in reality, if that was your piece of property and every time you went to build it, no, 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 no. And, and, and property taxes, you fail to pay your property, they take your property. The U.S. Constitution forbids that. Private property is to be protected. God declares that. And yet, in the Great Depression, the government was the largest landowner. They took property from people. And, and this is something that the Lord is, it, it, it is not acceptable. Um, you, uh, you, you violate the commandment by using something without permission. Siblings do this all the time. Where's my shirt? You're wearing my shirt. You know, you just go, ah, oh, they won't miss it. You borrow somebody's without permission. I just want you to know, if you don't have permission, you're stealing. It's not yours. You're destroying culture. You, you take a company asset. You, you abuse someone else's possession. You know, you're driving a rental car. Ah, it's a rental. You're stealing. We're Christians. We don't do that. Another way you break the commandment is you deceive others. The Lord hates dishonest scales and dishonest weights. Proverbs 20. You, you, you cheat somebody. You don't give them what you promised. You know, we, we sold our house and I, um, I I sold the washer and dryer for 150 bucks. Somewhere in there, there was confusion that they thought we were leaving. We had two washers and two dryers. Somewhere in the process, the woman who bought the house thought that we had agreed to all four. And, and it was the real estate agent that made the confusion, her real estate agent. And, and she wasn't upset about it, but the real estate agent wanted to make an issue of it. And, you know, it just created bad blood. And I was grieved by it. And I, I said, is there anything in writing? Can you have, do you have anything? She said, no. I said, well, you're accusing me of, of breaking a promise to this woman. I didn't have this conversation. My real estate agent did. And I was so bummed by it. I just told the lady, I said, you know what? She sent me the check and I told my real estate agent, tell her I tore the check up. She can have the washer and dryer. I would rather have a good relationship with you and know that this house has been a blessing for 16 years and the previous owners, it was a blessing. It's been a godly home. I want it to be the same for your family. It's not worth 150 bucks to me, keep it. She was touched by it. But, but this idea of, of deceiving others, I don't want to be in that place and I don't think anyone else should be. Uh, and that brings me to another way to break the commandment. We're almost finished. Refusing to keep obligations. Um, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-one. I won't have you turn there. The wicked borrows and does not repay. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Um, a, a very good friend of mine, you know, for the first time in how many years of marriage? I don't even remember. Over 30 years of marriage, they, they're completely debt-free. 27 years for us, we're completely debt-free. And, and he, he was so convicted by wanting to honor God. And by the way, the minute he started doing this, the ministry he's overseeing went through the roof. The blessings have been monumental. 
I, 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 I'll have him give his testimony. But he went back to people whose loans he had defaulted on and they, they settled it 50 cents on the dollar. He went back and paid back the rest of it. There was only one entity, American Express, who, we don't want your check. We don't even know what to do with your check. Just keep your check. But he went back and paid it all back. God commands that. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Wicked. I don't want to be called wicked. Um, to, to withhold something rightfully due, refusing to pay debts, also not giving employer eight hours of work for eight hours of pay, cutting out early, coming in late, you're stealing. You're stealing. Um, so let's take a look at uh, Malachi chapter 3. We've got 11 minutes. Look at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Um... I think that's self-explanatory. Will a man rob God? I think it's self-explanatory. And the Lord says, you've robbed me. As Christians, we're not removed from the law. This is a civil picture that God wants you to trust him. And it puts value not on the money, but on your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others and the value of the church and the value of, of worship. He's calling us to that. And the, and the Lord takes this seriously. Some of the most common excuses for stealing. I have to live. I have to feed my family. They stole from me. They'll never miss it. They're a giant corporation. They steal from everyone. Honest guys don't get caught. I want it. And it boils down to two questions. Are you content? Because when you're not content, you steal. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the other question is, do you trust God? Because if you don't trust him, you steal. You don't trust him, you steal. If you're not content and you don't trust him, you're going to violate the eighth commandment. Philippians 4.19 and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Matthew six twenty six. look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If you're doing life God's way, then you can depend on him, not to make you rich, but to meet your needs. He will give you the strength to work and make up the difference every time in some way. If you don't have the guts to trust God and you want to take into your own hands by stealing from your employer or the government, then you're definitely going to have a lot of stress. And here's why. You're on your own. God, I'm overwhelmed by this debt. I'm not the one who ran the credit card, God says. You stole from your future to pay for your present. I never wanted you to have that. You're on your own. There's going to be consequences to your indebtedness. I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. I know the feeling. 
And it's our debt. If you have a problem with stealing tonight, and any of this has hit home with you, confess your sin to the Lord and walk away from it, forsake it. Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confess and make restitution when possible. If you've stolen from someone, go pay it back. You may not have it now, but keep a ledger of it so when you do have it, you can pay it back. 